is and especially the applications of words are somewhat relative. Now, you may argue with that and say, no, pastor, language, the words we have, the meanings are in the dictionary, look it up. It's set in stone. But if you think about it, many of the words we use, we may have our own little slant on what it means, or when someone uses that word, we may have a different thought in our mind of what that word means. So, for example, if I use the word delicious, what comes to mind? Okay, food. Wow. Think a little more with me, okay? What food for you comes to mind? Some people. What food comes to you? For you, it might be some type of just real, real intense, just real luscious dessert. And for me, it's a steak cooked medium well, maybe some potatoes or some corn or some other side item, but the steak's the important thing. That's delicious. When I use the word soon, for you, soon may means something different than it does for me. One of my favorite scenes in the Chosen series that we've shown some of the episodes here at church is, is Jesus and Peter having a conversation and Peter's asking Jesus about something and then asks Jesus, will this happen soon? And Jesus, the character who plays Jesus, laughs and says, soon? That's such a, what does that even mean, soon? Ask my father what soon is. For, for God the Father probably means something different than it does for you or I, because a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. How about the word just good? If, if I use the word good, you may conjure up some different ideas of what good is in your mind. How about some of these words? How about senior? How about geriatric? Old. You say, no, no, those words, they're set in stone. I know what they mean, really. Because over the course of your life, your idea of what those words mean has changed. Hasn't it? Ask one of my children what old is. They might point at me. That's old. I remember one time having a conversation with my children about our ages, followed by a conversation about their grandparents' ages. And they were blown away that someone could be of that.
that age. But what happens as you grow older, your idea of old changes. Why? Because you don't want to be that. <laughs> it changes. How would you like to have this description for yourself? Well stricken in years. If you or someone were to write a, a biography of you for something, and they were to say, I have to introduce to you tonight, Michael. Michael is a, a pastor, he's a husband, a father, oh, and he's well stricken in years. I don't know about, I'd not be real excited about that being a part of my biography. And here in Luke chapter 1, we find a couple that that's exactly what the penman who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. You ask God, God, what do you have to say about Zacharias and Elizabeth? And along with the other things, God would say, well, stricken in years. They're old. They're really old. Like one foot in the grave old. I remember when I was the youth pastor at the campus church, I went on a visit with our visitation director to visit a man who was in a rehab facility. And he was an elderly man, and he was watching the news. And at the time, the new pope of the Catholic church was being installed. And the visitation director made the comment... I don't understand why they always choose someone who already has a foot in the grave. The man we were visiting was even older than the, the new pope. So he was like, well, what does that say about me then? Kind of put his foot in his mouth. But that's what God says about Zacharias and Elizabeth here in Luke chapter 1. And when we think of somebody... That God says is well stricken in years. That usually has some identifications with it. Okay, have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm too old for that. Right? Or, or you say of someone, well, they are too old for that. I've spoken with you before about where I get my haircut here in town and every time I go in, I've done it for years, and he expects it now. I speak to the owner of the barber shop, and when I go in, I say, Hey, Tommy, how are you? And he'll answer. And my next question is, Have you been behaving yourself? And he regularly answers something to this effect. Well, I'm too old to do anything different. In Luke chapter 1, Zacharias and Elizabeth are characterized as being well stricken in years. We also learn something else about them. We find that the Bible says Elizabeth is barren. She has no children. And the assumption is that she could not have any children. And by the time you say somebody is well stricken in years, the assumption is what? 
they're too old. They're too old now. But we read the story, didn't we? And what we find as we read the story of Luke chapter 1 is an angel shows up to tell Zacharias that Elizabeth will conceive and they will bear a son. And I believe the, the portion of the text that really stands out to me today and as I embark on this Christmas season is what we find in verse number 20. Where after hearing that message, Zacharias asks a question about how this can be because, after all, we're old. And the angel responds in verse number 20 and says... At the end of the verse, thou believest not my words. We're going to go through the text this morning, but I really want us to focus in on this concept of faith. I believe this Christmas season that we fall short of celebrating Christmas without faith. If we're lacking in faith, then we will fall short of being able to truly celebrate and enjoy all that Christmas means. What I learned from God's Word is that when I fail to believe my failure to believe limits my experience of the blessing of God that comes with belief. Listen to the familiar words of Hebrews 11 in verse 6. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he... Anybody, let's put it that way, for anybody that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So what do we learn about failure to believe? If I fail to believe, if my faith is, is more limited than what it should be. Hebrews 11.6 says, I can't come to God. I won't experience who he is. And I'll fail to experience the reward that comes to those who diligently seek him. So today, you and I, as we look at Luke 1, 5-25, we need to understand that faith, if we, if we fail to believe as we should, we will fall short of truly being able to celebrate and experience all that Christmas means. Faith opens that door. Faith opens the door to fully experience the blessing of Christmas. And so as we embark into Luke 1, 
5 to 25, let me ask this question of you today. Where is your faith limited? Where is it in your life that you are failing to believe God as you should? I, I'm reminded that God said of the children of Israel that there were times as they were being taken from Egypt to the promised land and they wandered through the wilderness that they did not experience all that they could have because they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited God. And over and over in Old and New Testament, we understand and we find out that that limiting of God came primarily through unbelief. They did not believe God as they should. Where is it in your life today that your faith is not what it should be? Where is it in your life today that you are limiting God? It's pretty clear in the life of Zacharias where he was limiting God, isn't it? And even when a messenger from heaven showed up to tell him, you and Elizabeth will conceive and bear a son, he did not believe. And so let's look at Luke 1, 5 to 25 today. I'm going to give you some lessons that we find in this passage, all leading up to this truth that faith will open the door for you to be able to fully celebrate and experience Christmas and all that it means. I want us to start here at the beginning of the story with this lesson, this thought. Delay does not mean denial. We've heard that before, but it goes further. Nor does it mean disapproval. Delay does not mean denial, nor does it mean disapproval. What do we find at the beginning of the story? We're introduced to these, these two people, this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias is a priest. Now, for us, we struggle with this thought a little bit because so much of the focus throughout the Bible is the high priest. But you understand that the high priest was not the only priest of Israel. He was number one. He was the top but there were a lot of priests. In fact, estimates from this time period show that there were approximately 20,000 priests in Israel at this time. Now, if you think about that, even early in the Old Testament, it became obvious that they needed to make divisions and split up how the work of the temple was going to be done among this number. And so, in 1 Chronicles 23 and 24, King David set about, and others, setting up the divisions of the priesthood, setting up the way by which each line or each family would be chosen, and how they would go about knowing day by day who was to do the work of the tabernacle and later the temple. By this point, three priests were typically used day by day for the work of the temple. 
the, the morning and evening sacrifices, the morning and evening oblation, and the once a day burning of the incense. As each family or course, as it's said here in Luke chapter 1, was taken, the, the three that were chosen for that day upon whom lots were cast, they would, in, in our thinking, they would draw straws, they would roll the dice. And this would determine the three, and within those three, who did what? So if you think about it, with 20,000 priests, even as this is being done day by day, this was, in essence, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacharias to go into the temple and burn the incense. This was likely not something he did over and over and over again. This was probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And we are introduced to him as one of these priests. We're introduced to his wife, who is of the daughters of Aaron. Her lineage is from the high priestly line. And notice in verse 6 what God says about them. What do we learn about their character? They're righteous. If you lined up their life against the law of God, blameless, that's high praise, isn't it? I mean, here these two are. Now, don't misunderstand. We know they're not perfect. But the character of their lives is character of obedience to God. And if you were to look at their lives and look up and down the law of God, you would not find a, a point of God's law that they characteristically... Or maybe if you didn't know them well at all, you wouldn't even be able to figure anything out in a way that they had been breaking God's law. If I can say it this way, we would look at Zacharias and Elizabeth and we would say of them they were good people. Even more than that, we would say they were godly people. But yet notice what's also true they're barren now let me ask you a question from even reading the text earlier in the service is that true because they just didn't want to have children no that that is a phenomenon that occurs more and more in our society today but it wasn't a phenomenon that 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 took place in that day and certainly they desired to have children We'll see that again later in the text. But here's the point I want to draw out here this morning. Isn't it true that if we were on the outside looking at their lives, that there would maybe even be many a Christian today who would say, well, God is punishing them for something. God's passing judgment on them for something. They want children. They're, they're doing what they should to have children. They're praying and asking God to give them children. And it didn't happen. God's judging them. And unfortunately, what happens at times in your life and mine 
is whether it's looking at somebody else's life or at times even looking at our own lives. And we're praying, we're seeking God for something. And God, in our words, isn't coming through. God's not answering. He's not giving us the desire of our heart. We believe we're seeking God. We believe we're obedient to God. We believe we're exactly where God wants us to be and even asking him for something that he would be pleased to give us and God isn't answering. What are we often tempted to think at that point? God's denying us. Or maybe even you begin going through your life and going, what isn't lining up? You, have you ever been there? Or is this just me? God, where am I not pleasing you? God, where am I disobedient? God, where is my life out of line? And that's why you're not coming through. That's why you're not answering me. There may have been others even at that point in their lives who were on the outside looking in, kind of like Job's friends. You know, we can't see it. We don't know what it is, but there must be something underneath the surface that's against God, and that's why he's not giving you children. That's why he's not answering that prayer. That's why he's not giving you what you're asking for. Friends, be careful about that thinking. Delay does not mean denial, and, and it may not mean disapproval. That was certainly true in the lives of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Notice this, secondly... We should strive to always be in the way of obedience. Look, if you would, here at verses 8 through 10 again. We read it earlier in the service, but look again. And it came to pass that while he, that Zacharias, executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. This seems very historical. Zacharias is a priest. He's doing his duty. The lot fell to him that day to burn the incense, and he's doing what he's supposed to do. What does that tell me about Zacharias? He's in the way of obedience. He's fulfilling his duty. He's doing what God gave him to do. Now think about that in light of context, in light of his life. For years, Zacharias and Elizabeth have prayed for a child. I believe that by this point, that prayer had been given up on. I'll show you why in a few moments. I don't think they're praying about it anymore. For a long time, though, they had prayed that God would give them children. They had prayed that God would open uh, um, Elizabeth's womb and allow them to conceive and bear children, but God had not answered. By this point in their lives, as far as they're concerned, God had denied them that request and he would never give them children and yet Zacharias is in the way of obedience 
he did not allow what he perceived to be God's denial to drive him from doing what God wanted him to do. Oh, are there times we're ever tempted to do that? When, when we're seeking God and, and asking God for something and God doesn't seem to come through, where we're tempted to just give up and throw in the towel and run away from what God has for us. Zacharias stayed in the way of obedience. And, and I'll say this right here. It's interesting, isn't it? That as you read Luke chapters 1 and 2, as you read Matthew chapter 1, and two for that matter. As you read these accounts of the Christmas story in the gospel writings, do you know what you find over and over again? You find God working in people, through people, and for people who are in the way of obedience. Zacharias and Elizabeth are in the way of obedience. Mary, later in Luke chapter 1, is in the way of obedience Matthew chapter 1, when God speaks to Joseph as he's thinking about putting Mary away, Joseph is in the way of obedience and he follows God's direction. Even the wise men, who yes, were not there the night Jesus was born. But we think of them as part of the Christmas story. When God showed up and spoke to them, what did they do? They obeyed. They were in the way of obedience. God works in, for, and through people, often, who are in the way of obedience. Number three, I want you to, to remember this. Good things come to those who wait. Have you heard that before? I mean, it, it almost is cliche, right? Have you ever used it with your children? I love my kids, I do. But they have the same problems all children do. They are impatient. I mean, you set their plate of food in front of them and you've barely set the plate down. Where's my drink? Come on, Mom, Dad. You're failing miserably. Where's my drink? But the truth is we all struggle with patience, don't we? Notice verses 14 through 17. I think we see this. Look at verse 14 specifically. The angel is speaking now to Zacharias, and he says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For years, Zacharias and Elizabeth had prayed for a son. I believe at this point, again, I'll show you why in a moment, they'd given up on that. But now the angel shows up and says, you are going to conceive and bear a son, and you'll have joy and gladness. Many others will rejoice at his birth. Good things come to those whose wait, and there's depth to this beyond just the joy of having a child. But what a good reminder, good things come to those who wait. Can I remind you of the scriptural encouragement we have to wait? Look, if you would, at the screen at Psalm 27 and verse number 14. David is preaching to himself. This is right after he said, I had fainted unless I'd believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he preaches this command to himself. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, 
on the Lord. David, Psalm 27, was clearly in a place of discouragement. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But he wasn't seeing it right then. He believed he would. What did he need to do in the meantime? Wait on the Lord. Look, if you would, at Psalm 37 and verse number 34. There the psalmist says, wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. Do you ever feel at times like wickedness is prevailing? Like evil in this world is getting the victory over and over and over again. Here the psalmist encouraged his people, wait on the Lord. He'll exalt you. The wicked will be cut off. What do you need to do in the meantime? Wait on the Lord. And then listen to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord. Hey, isn't it true that, that often when we experience evil in our lives, when we experience bad at the hand of another, we want to take action. We want, we want justice done. How often do you hear people crying out for justice? Let justice be done for judgment. What does the Bible tell us to do? Leave it in God's hands. Wait. God will do the work. It is hard to wait. I've heard my children say that more than one time. When I've told them, be patient. Oh, it's so hard to wait. I think I've shared before, it was right as we were moving into the home we're in now. And we were in the process of unpacking boxes and bringing boxes in and we had given, given a couple of the kids their lunch, and, and one of them asked for a drink, and I said, just wait, just wait, I'll get to it in a moment, and, and I did forget. And after a couple of minutes, I don't remember at this point if it was Brooklyn or Evelyn, but whichever one it was, sighed heavily and said, it's so hard to wait. And it is, isn't it? But good things come to those who wait. Wait on the Lord. And then again, here's really what I want to focus in on. Without faith, one cannot come to and fully enjoy God. Without faith, one cannot come to and fully enjoy God. I mean, think about what, what he just heard. Zacharias shows up for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to burn incense in the temple. And an angel appears. And as is always the case in the Word of God, he's afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but the way that, picture, that angels are often portrayed as these really effeminate, skinny, long-haired, weak-looking creatures, that's not something that would typically strike fear in people. And yet, over and over again, when angels show up, people are scared out of their minds. The Bible portrays a very different picture of angels than what we often see portrayed in art and so on. This was a 
fearsome appearing warrior-like being. And Zacharias is afraid, and the angel speaks and says, don't be afraid. I bring you, don't miss it. What's he say? I, I'm, I'm bringing you glad tidings. This is the same phrase used in Luke chapter 2 when the angels appear to the shepherds and say, we bring you good tidings of great joy. The angel showed up and announced the conception and birth of a son to Zacharias and Elizabeth, and this was and is a part of God's gospel story. Because for Jesus to be all he is said to be, the scriptures must needs be fulfilled. And the scriptures declared, the prophets declared, one who would come and prepare the way of the Lord. A prophet who would come in the power of Elijah, who would turn the hearts of the people back to God, who would preach repentance. And that's exactly what the angel declares to Zacharias here, isn't it? You're going to conceive and bear a son Many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be one in the power of Elijah. He'll, he'll preach the, the, the word of God. He'll be filled with the Holy Ghost. He'll turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll, he'll, he'll work in such a way. He'll preach in such a way. He'll minister in such a way that people will be changed. And for Jesus to be all he was said to be, the scriptures must needs be fulfilled. And Zacharias hears this message, and he asks a question in verse 18. Whereby shall I know this? What is he asking in that? He's not simply asking for understanding. Zacharias is asking for a sign, as the Jewish people often did with Jesus. Show us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign. He's asking for a sign, as if an angel showing up isn't enough. He, he says, I'm old. Elizabeth is old. This can't happen. Now let me ask you a question. If that was Zacharias's thought, do you think that he's any longer praying for a child? I think not. Now you say, but wait a minute, Pastor. Didn't the angel say, your prayer is heard? Back in verse number 13. Thy prayer is heard. He did. But it wasn't because Zacharias was currently praying for it. I don't believe that Zacharias was burning the incense. And don't miss what the Bible says is going on outside. Hundreds of worshipers gathered at the burning of the incense to pray because in the Bible, the burning of incense is a portrait, it's a picture of prayer. And I believe that Zacharias was praying as he burned the incense. 
but I don't believe he was praying for a child, not his own child. Certainly he was praying for his nation. He was praying for his people. He was praying that God would send the Messiah. He was praying that God would fulfill all his word to his people. But I don't think he's any longer praying for a child. That's why I say again, delay is not denial. This was something that Zacharias and Elizabeth had prayed for for years, had stopped at some point, and hadn't prayed for anymore. And yet, the angel came with a message, your prayer is heard. But, still, Zacharias failed to believe. And because of that, the angel said, you're, you're going to be dumb. You're not be able to speak until this is all fulfilled. What I've told you comes to pass. Now think of that. That means that Zacharias left the temple when he came out. And he was not able to proclaim with his lips what he had seen and heard. He was not able to share with the worshipers there that for the first time in 400 plus years, God spoke and God revealed his word and his promise that God was putting into motion what they had been waiting for for millennia for the Messiah to come and this was the next step in the story he couldn't tell how ironic that Zacharias was in a place that he had a message to tell and he could not and many of us who know the Lord are in a position where we have a story to tell and we do How sad that is. And for Zacharias, that came because he did not believe. The angel said, Thou believest not my words. Listen again to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is needed to come to God. Faith is needed to experience all that he is. Now, well, what is he? Who is he? For Zacharias and Elizabeth, here in Luke chapter 1, God was the one who heard and answered their prayers. God was the one with the power to make something that they believed impossible to be possible. Where is it in your life that your faith is not what it should be? You'll never experience the fullness of who God is for that place in your life if you fail to believe you won't be able to experience all that God is 
and you certainly won't be able to experience the reward and the blessing that comes from diligently seeking him that is motivated and inspired by faith. Where are you lacking faith? Each of us, I'm sure, can examine our lives, reflect on that question, and find somewhere where our faith is not what it should be. It may be something that God's been working on you in for a long time. And you've not believed. You've not had the faith you should. Choose faith this Christmas season. Determine to believe God in that area of doubt or that place that you've given up on maybe like Zacharias you've given up on that you think it's been too long you think there's no hope you've given up determined to believe recognizing You can't come to God. You can't know who he is in his fullness or experience his rewards without faith. Choose faith this Christmas season. Faith opens the door to come to God, to know that he is, and experience his rewards and blessings. Faith opens the door to fully experience, enjoy, and celebrate Christmas. Are you a child of God? Are you a follower of Jesus? who has limited God in some area in your life? Are you someone who has never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? That lack of faith is keeping you from enjoying Christmas to its fullest because Christmas is all about Jesus who came to live the life you can't, to die the death you deserve so that you could have new life in Christ. 